0: Do you have a talent that you wish you could turn into a career, such as a musician, author, or actor? Perhaps you've been thinking of developing that creative hobby of yours into something more serious? If so, stay tuned. Welcome to Half Our Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon, and welcome to the third series of my audio podcast designed to help anyone who is looking for inspiration to develop their creative skills, whether professionally or as a hobbyist. Just like series two, this one will focus on the various aspects of the creative arts. I shall be interviewing musicians, songwriters, authors and actors, but also speaking to some in the directing and strategic management fields of this wide ranging industry. All of my guests have been carefully chosen, as each one of them has an interesting backstory from which we can all learn. Whilst there will be obvious direct benefit for anyone who wishes to pursue a career in the arts, or just develop their creative skills, the interviews will be entertaining and of interest to a much wider audience. Some really interesting aspects of the arts and entertainment industry will be shared by my guests. There will be 10 guests in this series, with each episode being released on a Saturday morning. If you're new to the series, please follow it on whichever streaming platform you use and go back to have a listen to the rich archive of interviews. This series is completely independent and ad-free, so if you like what you hear and you'd like to help cover some of the production costs, say coffee and biscuits, please feel free to donate what you can via the Corona Sound website. A link can be found in the show notes. And so to my guest for today, Boo Hewardine. Described by the BBC as one of Britain's most consistently accomplished songwriters, he has forged a hugely successful career as a songwriter, producer, and mentor. He's a long time collaborator with the fabulous Eddie Reader, providing her with the top 40 smash, Patience of Angels, in 1994. He's also a regular member of her live touring band. In terms of songwriting and producing, it's probably easier to list artists that he hasn't worked with, to be honest, but a few notable luminaries include Chris Difford from Squeeze, Clive Gregson, The Cause and Natalie Imbruglia. His first rise to fame was with his band The Bible back in the 1980s. In fact, I remember watching them on Terry Wogan's show back in the day and going out and buying the album the following weekend. Since then, alongside working with Eddie, he's forged a successful solo career around all his songwriting and production duties. Since then, alongside working with Eddie, he has forged a successful solo career around all of his songwriting and production duties for others. He also runs regular songwriting workshops around the UK, inspiring others to find their creative voice through song, and you'll hear some of his invaluable tips in this interview. If you're not familiar with the variety of Boo's work, I've curated an hour-long Spotify playlist of both his solo recordings and his songs performed by others. The link can be found in the show notes. I met up with Boo in his Glasgow Music Room to chat about his early musical influences, the art of songwriting and his various collaborations. Let's have a listen. Boo here we Dean, welcome to Half Hour Mentor. Hello.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Uh, absolute mm-hmm. pleasure. Thanks very much. First question yes. I always ask every one of yes. my guests is, what was the first job you wanted to do back in your teenage years?
1: Well, it's before then. I remember everyone had to say what they wanted to be in, in it was class so at eight years old or something, and everyone wanted to be a fireman in an astronaut. And I said comedian, and I didn't even know what comedian was. But that, that hasn't worked out. I, but I, I do like the uh, Bob Monkhouse joke we said when I was young. Uh, I said I wanted to be a comedian, and they all laughed at me. Well, they're not laughing now. So, <laughs> but that was what I wanted to do. But I, at the same time, I'd begun to make up songs in my head. I did. I didn't pick up a guitar till I was eighteen or nineteen, but I was making up songs before then and singing them to local groups in the hope that they would sing them, and they did. Right. Who like, were your musical influences? Oh, everybody. I would say I'd, every everything but prog, I guess, because at a school. All my classmates like prog and I, I, I remember I, I had the This Is Soul album and I brought that into school and they all laughed at me. And I, well, <laughs> they're not laughing now. <laughs> so uh, I think I win and I hope they're very happy with their uh, Badger albums and so forth. But I, <laughs> So I liked soul music, I really did, and classic songwriting and uh, then punk. I loved that. And I remember the album before Punk came out, which was uh, Down by the Jetty. It was another guy brought that in a Doctor Good record, mm-hmm. and I, I, that was pretty life changing for me because there were no wizards <laughs> <laughs> or capes. Or capes, yes, yeah. yes, indeed. Oh, exactly. yeah. So, what made you choose music as a profession then? and At what stage was that? I don't think it, I don't think I chose it particularly. I was not particularly. Uh, I knew that I wanted to make up songs, but it took me quite a long time to be a musical person. I've I've only started liking my voice in the last few years, but I've always wanted to write songs. So I I think I've stumbled into it, really. I don't strictly think I'm employable as such. The few jobs that I did have never ended very well. I worked in a record shop at the same time as we got our first deal with the Bible uh, which was interesting. And my job was to push around trolleys with a headset on and people would say, can I have four Paul Youngs and stuff like that yeah. It's for a chain called Andes. And then I, we put out a, our first album, Walking the Ghost. There it is. Still, still, Excellent. still sells amazingly. And um, uh, then I started getting rung up by record companies. Uh, and at first, I got the first company I got rung up by was Sony, And so I'm pushing the trolley and I'm really nervous because on that album, we used a sample of Mahalia Jackson without asking for permission. So I thought I was about to be sued, but they said, we'd like to offer you a deal. And that was strange. And then at about the same time, we met Marcus Russell, who was a manager who had bought that record and liked it. And we were so lucky to meet him. He went on to to manage people like Oasis and stuff like that. A wonderful, wonderful man. And he sorted out, uh, uh, sorted out uh, a big record deal for us. So what I do remember is that there was champagne at the signing, but they were in styrofoam cups, and I thought there's <laughs> something, something about this that feels strange. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. You, you, with the next album, with the Bible, you went on to it with
1: Steve Earle as well. Yeah, Steve Earle. Yeah, He's still, I'm still huge influence on on my life, particularly in terms of, actually, in terms of production, the way he produced was really interesting. It was much more sort of a broad sweep than some of the other people that I met. Uh, But there are three producers that have really affected me. One is a man called John Kelly, who I still do things with, Mm. who used to work with Paul McCartney and stuff like that. And he taught me patience. He's brilliant letting ideas come. And then there was John Woods, who did the Nick Drake albums, who's mm. still working as well. Mm. And it, it, he, he just made me think a bit differently about sound and Steve-O about how important that the feeling in the studio is, is the main thing. Mm. You know, you can have a wonky sounding drum kit, but if, it, if people aren't putting themselves into it, it's not gonna be great, you know. So. Mm. You can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. I'm not <laughs> sure that's helpful. But <laughs> That's all, and on that note, that's all we need.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first on Half Hour Mental, folks. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but moving on to your songwriting, so yeah. obviously that was a, a key part when you you were working in the band, and obviously very prolific. Yeah. That. Is it over? What about over two thousand songs now that you've got published?
1: I don't know. I, I, it might be that many. I know there's a thing where you can look, and it only goes up to a thousand, and then it's in. Then he goes up to the M's or something. So probably of those two thousand, it's probably at least three or four that are okay. So you know. <laughs> I mean, it's so in, it's so instinctive to me now. It's how I th- think almost. So today we've been listening to I've been listening to the songs that I wrote with Chris Difford. He's doing some recording down there, and there were little tweaks mm-hmm. uh, that I thought might help. i have definitely put my ten thousand hours into it. Mm. And it's, but it's um, it's um, my philosophy when I do my workshops is that everybody has ideas, everybody has things they want to say. I just try and accelerate the process for them by showing them some things that I've learned through hard graft, uh, and it it really I, I I love it. It really works. I really like watching people start producing music uh, that they like. You know,
0: well, I wanted to ask you a bit more in detail about the approach to songwriting then. So yeah what's your methodology do you sit down sort of 9 to
1: 5 do you just write when inspiration strikes how how do you plan it um if somebody asks me to write something i'll sit down and write it definitely for uh and i've got 3 to write over the next week for people who've asked me to and i i uh, that's great that's easy someone asks you to do something you do it for myself i have no method method, method at all and um I have ideas, and they're on bits scraps of paper, and I find it very difficult to apply the discipline that I urge on other people to myself. I, every time I finish an album, I think, "Oh, I don't have to do that again." And then, <laughs> oh no, I've started having ideas. So, which do you prefer, writing for others or writing for yourself? I'm probably writing for myself, despite the fact that I'm moaning. But yeah. I, it's so brilliant to be asked to write for someone else. It's so yeah. flattering, and I've had some real adventures. And all my all my friends are songwriters or singers, so it's like. It's been a fantastic uh, social thing as well. And I don't underestimate that. With the workshops, they all stay in touch with each other and uh, sometimes go on holiday without me, which was uh, quite shocking when I I found that how I managed to read an email that I wasn't meant to read. I said, what? You've you've all gone on holiday? (laughs) And um, I think... Songwriting is quite a lonesome pursuit but so I've really enjoyed watching these uh, communities spring up and one of the things I do as well I have a real faith in people writing for the sake of writing rather than necessarily trying to have commercial success and I do stuff for a thing called Talent is Timeless which is this young woman Saskia Griffiths Moore started for people over 50 to write songs and I did a, uh, a weekend with people last weekend and it was so brilliant because the only expectation is to write something great, not not to sort of uh, necessarily have a hit, who knows, mm. but just the joy of creation and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, something so, that's meaningful that they can... I think about. every song, uh, I like the idea of songs having use outside of just being commercial as well. So even if it's someone writing for their anniversary or something, it's a good thing being a songwriter is I went to my friend uh Vladar he is a young guy half my age, but we write together. Uh got married in Bratislava two weekends ago and my wedding present to him was a song and everyone was like, Oh that's so good. It saved me loads of money. <laughs> and uh but just to put that together and for it to be heard once in that environment and for it to Mean something sort of, mm. which they said it did, but that's beautiful, yeah, so I get you know I really, as I've done this more and more, I'm very lucky that I've made a living with music, mm. but um that's not the Holy Grail, I think it's sort of somebody being moved or touched or, or enjoying it, you yeah. know so what well, what
0: comes first music or
1: lyrics the concept, I think. Sometimes it's music, but more more often than not, uh, there'll be some sort of concept that will rattle around in my brain sometimes for ages. Mm-hmm. And then I'll... Spend... When people... I encourage people to co-write, Is uh, I, I encourage them to talk to each other for at least an hour or 45 minutes before they pick up an instrument or even talk about the song, because they will naturally hone in on some sort of concept together, mm-hmm. and then it feels... Very powerful, and there are three people in the room the two people and the song. When you're by yourself, that, that conversation can sometimes go on for minutes or, or years, you know. So, yeah. there are some things that have been rattling around in my head for years. But I would say the, the idea first and foremost, and then it, come, it can sometimes come in an unseemly rush, or I can spend a week on one line. All of those things aren't true when you're writing for someone else, you just have to deliver, deliver by the yeah. given date. So the problem with writing for yourself is that uh, there's nobody saying I want it on my desk by Monday. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that approach of writing for others, then, it sounds like deadline is something that you treasure. You
1: know? Oh, it's amazing! And when I do the workshops and give people two hours or something to come up with something, and they do, and they go, "Oh, I didn't know I could do that." Of course, we could. Deadlines are magic. They really are. Uh, I think deadline. Uh, two things that are missing from a lot of creative. Uh, work these days particularly is songs is uh deadlines and also commission so all nearly all great art that you see around you in any city it all of it was commissioned and for some reason that's fallen away from the process Mm. and so when I do get commissioned like I sometimes write for the verb on radio three it's a real thrill and I've normally got like 48 hours to come up with something and I I have to be aware of the context of the programme and all that. It's like a gift, mm. being asked to do something.
0: Do they give you the concept that they want and then you write? They
1: will say, for example, one of my favourite songs was during lockdown and they wanted me to write a song about lockdown. I thought, oh my gosh, that's a hard one. I'm not, And I said, right, I'm not going to... The words Netflix are not going to appear in my song. Or oh, the word Netflix is one word. It's one word, yeah. yes. You, can you edit that out? Because I sounded like an idiot. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't really think Netflix was too... I was thinking on my feet, Ian. I, I, right. I, I panicked. Um, but those sort of words were all alone. and all. Mm. Uh, so I tried to... What I did was I thought, well, what else can I say? And it really struck me during lockdown that we all learned new ways to tell each other that we cared about each other. Uh, and human beings are really quick with new protocol of forms of communication like we all know text uh, etiquette now we all knew email etiquette right away so we all learned new etiquettes of speaking mm. to each other quite a lot of it was shouting you're on mute but still <laughs> <laughs> so I did the, I just tried to write a song about uh, the way that we, we communicate with each other and it's called the language of love and uh, it's changing you know mm. And it was good because it made Ian Ian, the presenter cry, and that's a win for me if I make someone cry.
0: Yeah. So you did a lot of um, collaboration on Zoom and things with musicians as well, didn't you, during lockdown? I did, yeah. Lady
1: Nade, for example, who was on Loose Ends on Saturday and played one of our songs, which was bizarre because I had her in one ear and I had uh, Chris in another ear because they were doing a take and that was like it was a, <laughs> a strange moment and so as Lady Nade uh, Vlado who I talked about Vlado Hall, we've got a, a duo called Hotel Art and uh, right now we're the third most played song in Slovakia which I'm really excited about so we're just releasing singles over there until we've got the album together it's called Hotel Art because I, I'm really fascinated by mass produced art mm-hmm. I don't know you must have sat in hotels many oh, times yes. and looked up and gone what were they thinking? The triptych. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes. The, <laughs> triptych, bridge. the triptych of <laughs> Daub. Yeah. What, <laughs> what's going on here? And uh, so uh, it it's sort of... Uh, all the songs we write are sort of a reflection on, on mass, mass-produced art, which sounds a bit up itself, but it's really fun. We mm. have a tremendous laugh doing that. Nice and then there was uh, a lovely man called Brian Johnson who... I wrote probably my favourite song of the last few years, which is The Night Is Young. And we write, whenever we meet, we write songs about Vivian Mayer. There's a Vivian Mayer book, who's the photographer, the street photographer, whose work was only found after she died. Nice. So each each person that I would visit or meet with, Adam Holmes wrote a whole album with him, would be, uh, we'd have, that, that. each one would be a little different universe, which I find really handy mm-hmm. for when we're new writing. So like, oh, I'm with Brian today, a bit of... Look at some Vivian and stuff like that. So, when
0: you, you do a collaborative album like that, for example, is yeah. it always, does it always have a theme to it?
1: No, not always. But I found that working within a theme, whether it be lyrically or musically, gives you a, a, like a real creative injection because we, if you naturally fight against the little rules that you made for yourself. Mm. The first time I did that was a lovely woman called Haftis Holt who's in Iceland, very wonderful singer. And she asked me and Neil actually, who's doing Chris, to produce her. And she'd had a big hit on a da- dance hit and she'd signed a big deal with BMG and she didn't want to do that. So she said, I want to make an album with you of your songs that we've written together. Wow. Uh, but I just want to use children's toys as the instruments and I have a budget of 4p. So it was made in Neil's spare room, and it was most one of the most enjoyable creative experiences I've ever had, because we were like, this is what we have, what are we gonna do? I'm still, yeah, still very, very fond of that record. Mm. If you're writing a play or a book or a film, you have parameters, but if you're writing an album and you don't have parameters, it becomes this rather daunting Mm. canvas and it's not the canvas that makes the painting it's the what goes on the canvas so if you give yourself limitations you don't it doesn't limit you in terms of expression in fact I, I find it exciting and gives you a bit of a focus a focus yeah down but you thoughts. still f- end up writing a broad range of things musically you or know, subject wise so mm. well, I did one record where I just it was all based around a, uh, an instrument called a dulcetone which used to be made in Glasgow here uh, about 100 years ago or more, which were very, very quiet, percussive keyboards mm. uh, that were made so people in tenements like we are now could hold church services without disturbing their neighbors. Oh. I love the sound of it. We ended up having two and a third one to hand as well. And there's no guitar on the album at all. Mm. Again, it's one of my favorite things just because it was like a challenge. You know? Yeah, just different and yeah, yeah, setting yourself up. Yeah. Do you ever get Rice's block? Oh yeah. I do. How do you overcome it? Yeah, uh, Somebody asked me to write something. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've got writer's block then. But for myself, yeah. But not, say, with Chris. Difford Day, he sends me a lyric, and I send him back a song, normally within the day. And right up to last minute, before he went into recording, he was sending me lyrics. And I think they might be my two favourite, on just from listening. There's one in particular which is really quite strange, chord sequence i guess and mm. then just hearing these really good people playing it i was like oh my gosh that's good mm. but i don't i don't spend a lot of time with that because i feel my job is to react to the lyric in in a very um honest way rather than sort of agonize over everything it's just mm. like what is this telling me and I, and I end up doing these things i wouldn't do for myself mm. so no if are other people involved i don't get writer's block just by myself you mentioned earlier
0: about uh, working the songwriting workshops that you yes. did and working with people and helping them yes. create uh, various things. What do you find the biggest challenge for songwriters in those type of workshops, people who come along to learn? What,
1: right. What's the biggest I, challenge? I'll tell you how I started with them. First off, I was playing a gig in Glasgow way before I lived here and some Danish people came up and said, would you come to Denmark and help us with some workshops? And I didn't even know what those were or what that even meant. Mm. And I went over to an island called Samso for four years running and like a crash course in doing it and it occurred to me pretty early on and it's really useful today for example is that where people need help is in getting a really firm grip on form and structure that's all it is Hmm. so I give really very simple exercises that are involved form and structure and suddenly these beautiful things emerge because I think songwriters or people writing songs get a bit involved in concepts for arrangement before they've written the song mm. i've got a songwriting friend who's written loads of number one singles and if i go and write with him he's a fantastic engineer uh, it's called phil Thornalley. but if i we would never write to the gear we'd always write away from the gear and mm. if it sounded good with the two of us then we go over to the gear and he's he's amazing he can make anything sound amazing mm. And I've noticed that when people are writing and they're saying to me, oh, yeah, well, we could have horns here. or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's brilliant, but that's not the song.
0: Yeah. It's the next stage. That's isn't the it? next
1: stage. Because the song is indestructible, like My Way, done by the Sex Pistols or, the, or Frank Sinatra. It's the same song. Yeah. And as soon as you get a sort of concept that a song and arrangement aren't necessarily the same thing, sometimes they are with some musics, but Mm. uh, it's really liberating. And so you're concentrating on making sure the words fall right, the melody works well. So I give them just little things. At no point do I say, this is how you write songs. I just say, why don't you try doing this and see if you like it? Or Mm. I tell them things that uh, I've noticed. That's all. Can you give me
0: one example of an exercise you might set? Because there's bound to be people listening now who think actually I'd like to go on one of those workshops what, well one we thing that,
1: that you can do is is you can write three verses in limerick form so you can just clock what a limerick does and then try and write it away from it your instrument and just write those three verses and in that try and move through time so it's simple have a beginning middle and end of some sort of story mm-hmm. and then if you have one line which is the last line of each limerick form can be the title and then the trick is to come up with a title that means something slightly different in each verse because of the information you put around it Right. it's not difficult but it's i had some mind-blowing results doing things like that right. doing things with melody most songs these days and it's fine uh, are written harmony first melody second so you get even in this industry of people called top line writers who mm. you get given tracks and they come up with melodies but What happens with that is you're immediately trapped in a little harmonic prison, which is fine. And most brilliant records done that way. So I will suggest that they come up with melody first and then harmonize it. Again, some mind blowing results. Mm. Because when we're playing guitar, we'll think we have to change chord every two bars. Mm. Somebody sings a beautiful melody, go and work it out. That's just one chord for six (laughs) bars, you know? Yeah. So things like that. So I just try and add to the toolbox rather than replace because there's nothing wrong with doing that. The other great thing about doing that is that you can be writing songs away from your instrument, uh, either lyrically or, or melodically. So many people, when they come on my workshops, go, oh, I say I'm not a very good guitar player or something. It's, mm. it matter's not a jot. Uh, Neil, Neil's dad was Ewan McCall, didn't play an instrument at all. That's mm. got nothing to do with writing songs. Mm. That's arranging. (laughs) Uh, You know, Mm. so you and McCall would sing songs and then Peggy would arrange them. But they could be arranged in a myriad number of ways. Their version of First Time Ever I Saw Your Face it's got bears no resemblance at all to the beautiful Roberta Flack version. Mm. Same song though, you know. Mm. So
0: In the workshops, then, so you know, you've given some ideas, and that must be a fantastic yeah. feeling for those people who perhaps have yeah. had writer's block, or they, yeah. they must have come on it because they wanted help for some reason. Yeah. What, what's the feeling? What's the buzz like at the end of those workshops?
1: Well, it depends on the length of the workshop, really. So we had a really lovely time over two days. But previous to that, uh, two weeks before that, I did. I'm doing this longer course where we're going to be recording, and they're going to have interviews with industry people, blah, 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 a gig uh, uh, in Inverness at the end of it. And the idea is that by the end of it, they'll have all the information they need to put out their own records, you know? Right, so it's not just songwriting, it's about no, it's performance a long, as well. No, that's a longer one. But at the end of the week, of the, we started with the songwriting week, uh, at the end of the week, and the um, we had a concert where people were playing material, which some of us had heard being created, and they'd had a whole week to work on. It's incredibly emotional incredibly emotional uh night mm-hmm. so sometimes i will record uh, get an engineer really good engineer like world-class type in to mm-hmm. record what we've done and then we have a playback party mm-hmm. that it's nothing beats it it's incredible because you're hearing these songs that you're all really familiar with and if i heard them now i'd know them but at the beginning of the week mm-hmm. nothing we just had air so it's <laughs> it's, it, it's a really beautiful sort of uh journey and i feel lucky that i've done it so many times now that I, I it's just a, like, it's like husbandry, really, just sort of. Yeah. And the biggest challenge with workshops is just making sure that everybody feels heard. That's it. That's, that's you know. Yeah. Make sure if someone's a bit quieter that they're not passed over or if someone's... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what I love, and it always happens, if you're sort of empathetic, is this brilliant support system grows up where they're all looking out for each other. Mm. I love it. It's beautiful. That's fantastic. Mm.
0: You mentioned a lot of the collaborations that you've done uh, within that. Do yeah. you class yourself as a mentor, officially, would you say?
1: Well, I, I occasionally get paid as a mentor, <laughs> and I did particularly during lockdown. My The way I think about my life is I have five strands, which is my stuff, my solo stuff, working with Eddie and other people as a guitar player, writing, uh, producing, and the workshops slash mentoring. So I feel I've, I have these five things I'm juggling all the time.
0: Right. Out of all of those, which do you most enjoy?
1: I like all of them. I wouldn't do them. I like all of them at various points. I have to say that I've only done one solo gig I think this year, I've done loads of gigs and loads with some of my really good friends and I've loved it, but I did one and I'd forgotten. That's probably because I'm a show-off. I just <laughs> had the best night. It was in, a, in Penarth in Wales and on the pier. Beautiful audience. So I, I just felt really lifted by that. But two gigs in, I'd start going, oh, when am I doing my next workshop? So I don't know. <laughs> They're all good. I wouldn't do them. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. Very lucky because I realised early on that unless I diversified, I wouldn't be able to survive because it's very hard making a living doing yeah. music. So yeah. I just have, a, I'm trying to be busy all the time, you know. Yeah. So. If
0: I've got a listener there who thinks, I really like the idea of a songwriting workshop, I need to save yes. up for it or whatever, can you give them three simple tips just to help them get off the ground with the songwriting?
1: Oh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? So um, the biggest problem. I think when people write, is they get in the way of themselves. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I shall tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I shall come to this forthwith. It is like I see new songwriters. They'll go, "I was looking out the window," and they go, oh, "The window should be window. Should it be door? Should it be window? what sort of door? What it be? like?" Just let it happen, you know, and then go back and fix it. And that I, I think if, of trusting yourself and getting the way of yourself is a huge problem for a lot of songwriters and they'll say, should it be the door or a door? It doesn't, it really doesn't matter. The important bit is that you're, you're looking out of space or something. That's, you know, mm. think big and then, and then, so do drafts. So your first draft could be a load of blah and half of it could just be you going blah, 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 blah. blah. People think they have to finish the song in a one hour. You don't get that with any other form of writing. You know, if any of these books we're looking at here, which uh, obviously uh, people at home cannot see, but there are books here. Uh, uh, they, they would be eighth, ninth, tenth drafts. You know, so don't don't be afraid to just blast something out that sounds like it is a song, and then go back and tinker with it because then you'll have something to work with. So I think. That's almost always when I'm working with people who haven't written much is that they're very self-critical and that's what I mean by getting in the way of themselves. And they stop, they write linearly. They write line one and then they think, What well, what's line two? I don't do that. I, I envisage a finished song and I populate it with lyrics, if that makes sense. I would like mm. think this feels like, I, I think I can say this in three verses and maybe there'll be a bridge. So it, the architecture exists and then I just... Uh, populate it and that works very very well if you're writing quickly with other people as well one of my favourite records I ever wrote uh, was with uh, Pete Wilson who's called Duke Special and we wrote a song called Under the Dark Cloth which is all songs about photography as an art form it's 100th anniversary and we wrote it, uh, he lives in Belfast I I don't so we just visited and did it in little scraps of time Mm -hmm. so it's really handy thinking about this is this is a minor song it's going to be in 3/4 it's and it's going to peak around here so like a total sketch you know mm-hmm. and then and then fill it in really thrilling because he uh, had done some work for rte in ireland and rather than take payment he said can i borrow your orchestra a 48 piece orchestra for 2 days in the <laughs> studio so to hear our tiny little scratchy things recorded on phones and but layering back me in particular because Pete was performing them sitting in that studio in Dublin is well it's an incredible moment and then much to his uh, delight they liked it so much he was asked to go to the Met in New York and perform it (laughs) unfortunately I couldn't go with him because I was doing a uh, couple of gigs with Chris Difford there Mm. and I was in a a pub in Cheshire where the fruit machine was louder than the PA (laughs) So our, our, our experiences sort of diverged. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in, in terms of tips, it's I think you know what we're pulling from that is have a framework, work on a framework, but then just let it go. Let and it just see what comes. Just see and what come. Redraft it. Yeah, yeah, just
1: see what comes. I don't talk. Oh, that sounds a bit like that sounds a bit like something other other song. I never really stopped Bob Dylan, did it? You no. know, <laughs> So it's like you don't, I don't think that matters. As long as you don't feel that awful feeling that you're stealing or that there is something else. That drives me mad. Sometimes I'll be writing something on an acoustic guitar and they say, yeah, it sounds a bit country. I like the word that. What do you mean by that? Yeah. It means I'm playing a, an acoustic guitar, but I could be playing Paranoid by, yeah. by Black Sabbath. Would you say, oh, that's a bit, yeah, it's a bit country that. Yeah. So just <laughs> keep the song in your head as well. Don't 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 let it be particularly attached to the instrument that you're writing with.
0: Yeah. Well, that's been that's been a fascinating insight. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. I've got one final question. Ask all of my guests, and that's knowing what you know now with all of that that you've learned over the over the years. What one piece of
1: advice would you give that younger self of you? I would have been a bit more confident, and (laughs) and. I was I was there. I was through the door. I was I was in I was in the room. I had all the opportunities and stuff. And I was a bit I was I I, I tended to listen to people's advice a bit too much and wasn't bold and pushy enough. Because I've got to here now and I love where I am. But I do realise that if I'd been a bit more bolshy and stuff, then I'd have had a different journey, right. which might have involved a slightly larger sofa in a bigger room. But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: I'm sure you'll agree that if you're a songwriter like me, there's so many tips in that interview that you'll probably want to go back, have another listen and take some notes. I found it interesting that a deadline was probably the most powerful driver to help him finish a song. It's something that's a key driver in any walk of life when we think about it, but it's worth thinking how you can set a deadline for yourself in order to help you get creative. Also, the point about just writing and not being critical as you get the ideas. I'd never thought of it in the context of an author before, when you think that they'll go through several drafts before they get to the final publication. It's exactly the same with a song when you do think about it. That was really helpful. Incidentally, there's some great tips for budding authors coming up later in the series, so stay tuned. My thanks to Boo for his time and mentorship during such a busy time. Don't forget, you can immerse yourself in his fabulous songs straight after this episode by following the link to the Spotify playlist I've created featuring some of his work. You can also find out more information about his songwriting and performance workshops. All the links are in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the series wherever you get your pods and do review the back catalogue if you're new to the series. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor or via the email link in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think of these episodes, so please do get in touch. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, bye for now.